So this is our final big story. Can you believe it? We started this sometime in September. Next week is the first Sunday of Advent. We're already here. The last story we come to is Daniel and the lion's den, Daniel chapter 6. It's been quite a series, though, hasn't it? The Word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword. God continues to speak through the Scriptures into our lives. The meaning, the significance, the power of these stories is never used up. There is always more. That's why we continue to study the Scriptures together, because after thousands of years, the Bible still speaks, and it still speaks into this wildly different cultural context than its original one. My hope for these sermons, and for every sermon really, is twofold. It's first that it would help you to see Jesus more clearly, that you would fall more and more deeply in love with him. But secondly, it's been my hope that these sermons would grow your desire to go and meet Jesus in the pages of your Bibles. That these stories aren't just for kids. That you didn't learn everything you needed to from them when you were six years old. There is so much more here. And I hope you've gotten a taste of that specifically as we've walked through these stories this fall. The last story is Daniel and the lion's den. It's a story that's about way more than the danger of lions. It's another story in this book of Daniel about what it means to live faithfully in exile in a foreign land. And so we too, as we seek to find out what it means to live as citizens of heaven and yet resident aliens in this world, I want to invite you to take this opportunity to do whatever you need to do so that you can listen well to these words from the book that we love. It pleased King Darius to set over the kingdom 120 satraps stationed throughout the whole kingdom and over them three presidents, including Daniel. To these, the satraps would give account so that the king might suffer no loss. And soon Daniel distinguished himself above all the other presidents and satraps because an excellent spirit was in him. And the king planned to appoint him over the whole kingdom. So the presidents and satraps tried to find grounds for complaint against Daniel in connection with the kingdom. But they could find no grounds for complaint or any corruption because he was faithful and no negligence or corruption could be found in him. The men said, we shall not find any ground for complaint against this Daniel unless we find it in connection with the law of his God. So the presidents and the satraps conspired and came to the king and said to him, O King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the prefects and the satraps, the counselors and the governors are agreed that the king should establish an ordinance and enforce an edict that whoever prays to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions. Now, O king, establish the edict and sign the document so that it cannot be changed according to the laws of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. 
Therefore, King Darius signed the document and edict. Although Daniel knew the document had been signed, he continued to go to his house, which had windows in its upper room open toward Jerusalem, and to get down on his knees three times a day to pray to his God and praise him, just as he had done previously. The conspirators came and found Daniel praying and seeking mercy before his God. Then they approached the king and said concerning the edict, O king, did you not sign an edict that anyone who prays to anyone, divine or human, within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be thrown into a den of lions? The king answered, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they responded to the king. Daniel, one of the exiles from Judah, pays no attention to you, O king, or to the edict you've signed, but he is saying his prayers three times a day. When the king heard the charge, he was very much distressed, He was determined to save Daniel, and until the sun went down, he made every effort to rescue him. Then the conspirators came to the king and said to him, Know, O king, that it is a law of the Medes and Persians that no edict or ordinance that the king establishes can be changed. Then the king gave the command, and Daniel was brought and thrown into the den of lions. The king said to Daniel, May your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you. And a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet and with the signet of his lord, so that nothing might be changed concerning Daniel. Then the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. No food was brought to him, and sleep fled from him. Then at break of day, the king got up and hurried to the den of lions. And when he came near to the den where Daniel was, he cried out anxiously to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lions? And Daniel then said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lion's mouth so that they would not hurt me because I was found blameless before him and also before you, O king. I have done no wrong. Then the king was exceedingly glad and commanded that Daniel be taken up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den and no kind of harm was found on him because he had trusted in his God. And the king gave a command. And those who had accused Daniel were brought and thrown into the den of lions, they and their children and their wives. And before they reached the bottom of the den, the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones to pieces. Then King Darius wrote to all peoples and nations of every language throughout the whole world, May you have abundant prosperity. I make a decree that in all my royal dominion, people should tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God, enduring forever. 
His kingdom shall never be destroyed, and his dominion has no end. He rescues and delivers. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, for he saved Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered during the reign of Darius and the reign of Cyrus the Persian. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. I said that's Daniel chapter 6. Verses 1 through 28, if you want to open your Bible or keep it open to follow along. Have you ever played chicken? You know the game where you line up and charge at each other full speed, head on, seeing who will flinch or if anyone will flinch at the last moment before you crash into each other full speed? You ever played chicken? Yeah? I've been playing a lot of chicken lately, but not with my car, with our daughter Hannah. She's decided she's going to be a picky eater, so every meal has turned into a game of chicken. We'll put the meal before her. She'll either refuse outright or simply refuse to eat anything of any nutritional value whatsoever. And so she digs in her heels. And so we dig in our heels. And so we charge at each other full speed until one of us blinks. And spoiler alert, it's usually not us. I don't know if you noticed, but this story actually has two games of chicken in it, sort of. Two challenges are set, where two sides line up against each other with stark lines drawn and charge at each other, waiting to see which side will prevail. And so as we look at the story this morning, I want to look at those two challenges to see how it is they may help us think about what it means to live faithfully in exile. The first challenge set was for Daniel. We met Daniel last week, right? He and his three friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, when they were young children, they were brought as exiles off to Babylon, but they were found to be wise and able administrators, so they were pressed into duty in the palace. Daniel continues to be successful and be promoted until he's quite prominent in the kingdom. In that story last week, Daniel served the king of the Babylonians. Since then, the Persian Empire has conquered the Babylonians and taken over the ancient Near East. And we find that Daniel is still serving in the palace, serving the new Persian king, Darius. That he's actually placed as one of the three presidents over 120 provincial governors called satraps. And he's in line for a promotion. It's that promotion that makes his colleagues envious. Though there's reason to think there might be some racial discrimination under here too, as they refer to him later as Daniel, the exile from Judah. So they decide to come up with a plan to take him down. They start by going through his dirty laundry to see what it is they can use against him. The only problem is they can't actually find anything. There's no corruption There's no negligence. There are no complaints. He's done absolutely nothing wrong. And I want to pause there for a minute. See, when the Persians conquered Babylon, one of the first things they did was allow any Jew that wanted to to return home to Jerusalem, to go back and to rebuild the city and its temple. And yet here Daniel has remained in exile. We wonder why. 
It could have been because he was too old. He was pretty advanced in years at this point, and maybe the journey from Babylon all the way back around to Jerusalem was simply too far for him. But I have another thought. I think Daniel may have stayed because he saw how God was using him. See, back in the book of Jeremiah, right after the exiles had arrived in Babylon, the word of the Lord came to them. It's in our Bibles now as Jeremiah 29. Thus says the Lord of hosts, the God of Israel, to all the exiles whom I've sent into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Build houses and live in them. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Take wives and have sons and daughters. Take wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage, that they may bear sons and daughters. Multiply there and do not decrease. Seek the flourishing of the city where I've sent you into exile and pray to the Lord on its behalf. For in its flourishing, you will find your flourishing. Maybe Daniel stays behind because he believed God was still using him. Because he still wanted to seek the flourishing of the Persian Empire, that in seeking its flourishing, he may find his flourishing. He may find Israel's flourishing. And so he sets about his work within the Persian Empire as though he's working for God. And he sets about that work in order to work above reproach. This is part of what it means to live faithfully in exile. Not just to seek the good of the place we've been planted in the world, but to enter into all of our work there in a way that is completely above reproach. See, being a faithful Christian in the world doesn't mean that you have to go and work for a church. It doesn't mean you have to quit your job and just volunteer full-time. What God needs aren't more church employees. We need one to oversee children and youth stuff. But after that one is filled, God doesn't need any more church employees. What God needs are great Christian teachers out in the world, great Christian doctors out in the world, business people and engineers, Christians so deeply shaped by their faith into the image of Christ that are out serving in every corner of the public sphere and seeking to do those jobs really, really well to live and to work above reproach in the world, to not cut corners, to not be negligent, to not tolerate corruption, to be people of integrity who under this fine of a microscope, those who oppose us might not be able to find any complaint against us unless it maybe has something to do with the laws of our God. The presidents and satraps that wanted to tear Daniel down could find no complaint against him. So they say, if we're going to trap him, we're going to need to find a way to use his God's laws. And they hatch a plan. Through flattery and deception, they convince King Darius to sign this decree that is unchangeable, that no one in the kingdom can pray to anyone, divine or human, for 30 days except to King Darius. And King Darius, swooning with power and self-importance, signs it into law. And with that, the first challenge is set. The law of God to pray, to worship God and God alone, and the laws of the Medes and Persians to worship King Darius and Darius alone are now on a collision course with Daniel standing in the middle. What will Daniel do? 
He hears. He hears the document's been signed. He goes to his house, windows open toward Jerusalem, gets down on his knees and prays. He prays three times a day, just as he always has. The challenge was set, and Daniel goes on in open defiance. What do you think Daniel was praying for three times a day, every day? I'm sure he prayed for himself. I imagine he prayed for the other Jews who were still in Persia, that he prayed to God that God might be with them, that God might protect him, that God might make a way where there seems to be no way in front of him. But the story tells us something else about how he's praying. He's not just asking for God's mercy. It says that he's praising God, that he's offering thanksgiving. Remarkable, isn't it? He's not only asking for help when he clearly needs it, but even here, even in this difficulty, even in this persecution, even when it seems like it's precisely Daniel's faith in God that's going to put him in danger, he's giving thanks to God. Because in good times and in bad, the central posture of our lives is always thanksgiving. Because Daniel knows that in the battle between the decrees of God and the decrees of Darius, while both claim to be eternal and unchangeable, only one is. Because Daniel knows that this so-called challenge, this game of chicken, is no challenge at all. Daniel knows who will prevail. So he continues to pray as he always has. He continues to praise his God who once saved his friends from a fiery furnace And who can now save him from this mess too, surely. Daniel prays both intercession and thanksgiving because no matter the circumstances of our lives, no matter the challenges we face, no matter the risks faith calls us to take, no matter any of it, we worship a God who can make a way where there is no way. We worship a God who's faithful. We worship a God who sits on the throne in heaven above and rules over all. We worship the God, as Darius will come to find soon enough, that is the living God. Amen? Amen. The first challenge is a challenge to Daniel. Will he remain faithful to God when his faith is challenged or not? And Daniel doesn't flinch. He goes up and prays as he always has. And that defiant and faithful action sets up the second challenge in the story. This was all a trap. So the presidents and satraps also just happen to stumble in and find Daniel praying. They drag him before King Darius, who only now realizes that he's been manipulated through this whole thing. And after a day spent trying to get out of it, Darius finally concedes and commands for Daniel to be thrown to the lions. They drag Daniel out, they throw him into the lion's den, and Darius prays from outside, May your God, whom you faithfully serve, deliver you, Daniel. And there's the challenge. Can this God, whom Daniel has so faithfully worshipped, do anything about the situation Daniel is now in? Daniel has been faithful to God. Will this God he's served be faithful to him? See, we know the power of the lions. 
They're massive, they're hungry, there are many of them. And we know the power of Daniel. He's an old man, and even in his youth, he would have stood no chance against these lions. So as the stone is rolled into place, closing off this pit of lions, sealed with the king's own signet, there is no one who can do anything about Daniel's situation. The challenge is clear. If Daniel's going to be rescued, if Daniel's going to be vindicated, if Daniel's going to live, then God's going to have to do something. And this is where the storytelling, I think, really shines, because we don't find out about anything going on in the lion's den. The cameras follow Darius back to the palace. In the midst of, of all of his splendor and riches and abundance, we find Darius spending the night pacing. He's fasting, refuses food, whether that's by choice or because he simply can't eat, we don't know. Sleep, it says, flees from him. And finally, at the first light of dawn, he races in all the disgrace of it out to the lion's den. And as he gets just into earshot, he cries out, Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you faithfully serve, been able to deliver you from the lion's? And there we wait, perched, too, on the edge, staring into the darkness and the despair, into the ache and the sadness. We look powerless into the very eyes of death itself. And against all hope, we hear a voice. Did that story sound familiar at all? Some political leaders who are jealous plot to kill God's faithful one. He goes up to pray in an upper room. He's dragged before a weak ruler who, though they can find nothing wrong with him, ends up sentencing this faithful one to death anyway. As good as dead, thrown into the pit, into the grave, a stone rolled over its entrance, sealed to make sure that no one can intervene or help or do anything. Then early in the morning, as dawn is just starting to break the darkness, a witness runs to the tomb, comes wondering if death has had its way, and comes to find instead life. For God has judged this one to be faithful and holy and righteous, and so has rescued them from the power of death. This is a resurrection story. It's Thanksgiving this week, but that's Easter. This is the story of a God who shows up in the pit, who comes into the grave. This is the story of the God who shows up when you gather with loved ones to celebrate this week while the pain of the empty seat is still unbearable. It's the story of the God who shows up at two in the morning when you're still awake, wondering how in the world this is ever going to work. That shows up in the doctor's office, when you hear the news you've been dreading hearing, who shows up when you're sitting beside the hospital bed wondering what will come. This is the story of the God who shows up in those places because those are exactly the places where resurrection happens. See, the good news of this story is not that there are no lions. The good news isn't that you will magically be spared the lion's den with the flick of a wand. That may sound great, 
But as we look around, it is surely not the case in the world around us. There are genuine threats to our lives. There are real risks that faith asks us to take in the world. And there's no way to diminish those things. But the good news that this story holds out to us is that there is a God who can bear you through the lion's den. That the God who has claimed you and called you will continue to be with you. That our God is not powerless in the face of the lions, but comes down into the pit alongside you to hold their mouths shut. That our God has come into the grave. That our God has joined us in death to destroy it and restore us to life. We worship the living God. The God who brings life out of death. The God who lifts up the lowly, who comforts the mourning, who forgives our worst sins, and who rescues our lives from the pit. How was it Darius said it? He is the living God, enduring forever. His kingdom shall never be destroyed. His dominion has no end. He delivers and rescues. He works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, for he saved Daniel from the power of the lions. He's the living God. His kingdom has no end. He's the rescuer and savior, the only refuge and hope in all the world. And it's that hope which is the anchor for our souls while we live in exile. As we seek to live faithfully and follow Jesus, it's that hope that guides us as our North Star. It's that hope that holds us fast. For whatever lions we face, whatever risks our faith calls us to take, whatever pit of darkness you endure, we know the one who sits on the throne. We know that we belong to the living God, the only one who can carry us through. So, friends, let's join in praising our living God who reigns over heaven and earth. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's sing, Jesus shall reign.